Last week I was working down here at the church and um, I just felt the Lord say to me pretty clearly, drop everything you're doing and you know, race on up to Wyong Hospital. Shantini needs you to help get Jeff home. And I straight away thought, well, I kind of knew what was going on with Jeff. For many of you probably won't know Jeff and Shantini. They arrived here about um, 18 months ago and three weeks after moving from Sydney, Jeff went and had a blood test just to finalise a hip replacement that he'd had some time before. And the blood test revealed that he had cancer markers in, in, in his blood. And so they then discovered that he had esophageal cancer. And that is now you know, spread to other areas. So Jeff's very sick and he needs our prayer. And, but many, many of you don't know Jeff. But they're part of our church. And, um, and so the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to go up to the hospital um, because Shantini needs you to help get Jeff home. And I knew that he'd gone in the day before for a blood transfusion. And immediately in my mind was, oh, he would have been home yesterday. No, I've got too much to do. But then I thought, no, I remembered all the other times that God had spoken to me. And, and I'd responded and I'd thought, oh, wow, I'm glad I responded. So I got in the car and I raced up there, kind of expecting that they wouldn't even know where he was. And I went into the reception and they said, yes, yes, he's in Ward 4. So I went up to Ward 4 and walked in and greeted them and they're there. And just as I sat down next to his bed, the doctor walks up and says, mate, you're right to go home. Okay. <laughs> then Shantini says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I couldn't get a park. I'm at the furthest end of the car park, right up the top. So I was able to walk out with Jeff and basically sit with him, because he's a very sick fella, and just sit with him while Shantini brought the car back around. And we just, I just followed them home and we got Jeff up into the house and, and all that. And as, you know, we, as I drove home, I guess after a very simple, somewhat mundane, unspectacular in every day way, kind of like a little piece of pastoral work, it struck me once again that, that God does indeed speak to us if we're willing to listen and obey, and that often what God is calling us to do is not spectacular at all. I mean, it's just the most mundane, everyday, bread and butter type thing. And as we do that, as we listen to his voice and respond, as we all do that, I think God actually kind of thickens up our lives and he thickens it up so that he weaves us together in wonderful ways and today we come to a passage in Acts where we see this very truth illustrated in the life of Philip and of all people an Ethiopian eunuch making his way home after worshipping in Jerusalem today we come to a passage in Acts which flows out of the wave of great persecution which broke out in Jerusalem in the, in the first months of the early church. Now, if you've been with us, you remember that following the, the murder of Stephen, the early church, because in Acts 2, if you, if you read there, it's like everything is just going wonderfully. I mean, they're sharing everything that they have together and thousands of people are coming to faith and it's just going wonderfully. 
But then Stephen is martyred. He is stoned to death by the religious leaders before them. And then this, it says a great wave of persecution broke out and they were, the, the church was kind of thrown out into the surrounding regions. And as we read about last week, Philip travelled to Samaria to share the gospel. And we read about how Peter and John went to investigate the news that there were now a whole heap of Christ followers amongst the Samaritans. And they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John went there and they laid hands on them and they prayed for them and they witnessed the Holy Spirit falling upon these new converts with power. And as that happened, it started to sink in. The gospel really is for everyone, even the Samaritans. Well, Luke then records this story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's open the word of God to chapter 8, praying that his spirit would speak into our lives today. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and, and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, let's kind of work back through the passage. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. God spoke to Philip and asked him to do something which must have seemed somewhat bizarre and more than a little dangerous. To head out into a desert road on the, in the first century was probably not the, the best idea. This was a, a lonely road where individuals were particularly vulnerable to attack. That's why people travelled in groups at this time. In fact, the, the best scenario for a lone traveller would be that you didn't meet anyone on your journey at all. And I imagine Philip may, way have, may well have said, what? What? When, when God's word came to him, what? I mean, go south to the desert road? Surely I must be imagining this. Surely you can't be serious. 
the desert road. There'll be no one on the desert road. Yet regardless, Philip went. He obeyed the word of the Lord and he went south on the desert road towards Gaza. Verse 27. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. How unusual, how unlikely for Philip to meet the treasurer of Ethiopia, returning from worshipping at the temple in Jerusalem. Now this guy is interesting. He is interesting for a number of reasons which speak into the greater context of what the Holy Spirit was teaching the early church at this time. Remember the, the verses just prior to this passage, we looked at them last week. The Holy Spirit was emphasising that the gospel really is for everyone, not just the Jews, everyone, even the Samaritans, and now even an Ethiopian eunuch. See, this guy was interesting, firstly, because he was a Gentile. Secondly, because he was a eunuch. This guy was banned from worshipping in the temple on both accounts. Gentiles were banned and so was anyone who had had their genitals removed. They were not allowed in the temple precincts at all. That's what the law said. But this guy has travelled all the way from Ethiopia, which is not the Ethiopia of today. Scholars say it was more Sudan. So it's, it's well over there at the top of North Africa. He's made a great journey to worship in Jerusalem and he is banned from entering the temple courts because he's a Gentile and because he's a eunuch. Do you see why the Holy Spirit seems to have picked this particular guy and this particular conversion story for this part of the Bible and the book of Acts? He's banned from entering the temple on both accounts, yet he still made this long pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. Now, somehow... And we aren't told how this Ethiopian treasury official has come into, into possession of a portion of the Old Testament scriptures. It's not like today where you go down to Kurong, you say, oh, you got a Bible, mate? Yeah, that'll be $4.95. Now, back then, these were handwritten scrolls. It was a big deal to actually own a piece of scripture. Somehow this eunuch, this Ethiopian official, has a copy of the Old Testament scriptures. And he, as Philip caught up with him, he was reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. And once again, the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and clearly said, go to that chariot and stay near it. I guess this may well have been another unusual, somewhat risky thing for him to do. You know, I can't really imagine that a high-ranking official from another country would be travelling on a deserted road without a bodyguard. And I would imagine this bodyguard was probably pretty, you know, like pretty skilled. They probably had some, some decent weapons and someone approaching them on the desert road, it even says he ran up to the chariot. I imagine Philip may have wondered if he would lose his head before he got to the chariot. 
you know, it's kind of like shoot first, ask questions later. You know, that's just with the arrow. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. But he does. He, he goes up to the chariot. And I can't believe that he would have even been able to get up near the guy. But as Philip approached his chariot, he heard the treasurer reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip must have had this smile on his face, a little bit like me last week at the hospital. God really did speak to me. As he comes up to the chariot, he must have been saying, hang on a minute, I know those words. I know that reading. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. He's reading about Jesus. Isaiah's suffering servant. I can't believe this. Who would have thought that I'd come across this stranger, this Gentile, this funny-looking bloke, out on the desert road and find him in the very act of reading about our Jesus? How did this happen? Verse 30 says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he asked the question. He says, Do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Undoubtedly, this Ethiopian recognised Philip's Jewish clothing and thought, well, I'm reading a Jewish scripture, I can't understand it. This guy probably knows more about it than me. So he invites him to hop up on the chariot and tell him all about what he's, he's reading. Verse 32, the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Who's this guy talking about? Is he talking about himself? Or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Just think about this for a moment. If you don't have the New Testament, remember the New Testament hasn't been written. The very first New Testament scriptures would not be written for a couple of decades. There's no New Testament scripture. If you've got to start telling someone about Jesus, could you imagine a better passage to start from than Isaiah's suffering servant? And that's what he did. You see, I have no doubt that Philip by now had, like the penny had dropped, as it had for so many in the early church. Everything in our nation's history, the whole history, the whole story of God's revelation and interaction in his world with his people everything from that first that first message from God to Abraham I will be your God and you'll be my people that first call the whole story of their exile and their return from from slavery in Egypt all of that was coming to this pinnacle in Jesus and Philip clearly got that and he says starting with that passage he explained to him the gospel, the New Testament. It hasn't re been written, but he starts here. This was the perfect place for Philip to start, and that's exactly what he did. He starts with Isaiah's words.
But I imagine Philip may well have used the very scroll in the man's hand, laying before them to encourage him as well. You see, he's reading from Isaiah 53. But, but as you read on just a little further, you come to chapter 54, the very next chapter where God speaks about a new covenant and about how those who have been put to shame and humiliation will be lifted up and given dignity and honour. And I can't help feeling that this Ethiopian eunuch may have been thinking, well, look, I know I'm a high-ranking official, but I was taken as a young boy and I had my balls cut off. And ever, without, I, I have no doubt that this bloke didn't agree to that. Would you agree to that? No. Okay, this guy was taken as a young boy and everything was cut off. Someone else made a decision, you are going to be a eunuch because then you can be, you can be in there working with the harem and the, and the officials and, and all that and you won't be a danger. We're going to castrate you so that you can be an official. So there's kind of all this dignity that comes with being the treasurer but I'd imagine there was a whole lot of shame and regret at what had happened to him. And I'm sure that people didn't treat him as he would have liked to have been treated. So I can imagine that, that as Philip read about the new covenant, about how shame and humiliation would be put aside, God's, God's word in Isaiah 54 would have been very encouraging to him. And then as they made their way along the road, Philip probably read from chapter 55 of Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. All you who have no money, come, buy and eat. And then verse 5, surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations that do not know you will hasten to you because the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. This bloke, this Ethiopian eunuch, this treasury official must have been thinking to himself, this sounds like it was written for me. But it was written more than 700 years ago. This sounds as like God wrote this for me. And then Philip may have moved on to the next chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 56, get this, it says, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. He must have been thinking, Well, I've been very excluded. I've just come from Jerusalem where I wasn't allowed into the temple. And then he says, And let not any eunuch complain. I am only a dried tree. <laughs> this guy must have been going... What? For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give my temple. I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name they will not be cut off. This guy must have just been amazed at what was being revealed to him. 
Verse 6, And foreigners who bide themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, to Jerusalem, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This Ethiopian eunuch, this high foreign official, must have been jumping out of his skin with joy as he came to realise what God had done for him through Jesus. Is it any wonder then as soon as they came to a little bit of water, a little wadi, a little stream, he asked Philip to baptise him. Verse 36 says, As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. All the Star Trek fans are saying, Wow. Yes. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? It's a wonderful story at so many levels. It's wonderful because it so clearly shows that the good news really is for everyone. It's wonderful because it shows God organising and arranging things so that even this rank outsider who has spent his days very much on the fringes of the kingdom is now being welcomed and he's been found and he's welcomed in. It's wonderful because it shows that that God whispers to us. It shows us how God whispers to us as we are willing to listen to him and as we obey. Philip must have wondered what on earth God was up to when he told him to go down to this lonely spot. But afterwards, particularly after he'd been teleported to another place, he must have been laughing and rejoicing at the wonder of it all that he'd been involved that God had brought him into this and he'd been part of it so my question for you today is very simple what has been has God been saying to you recently what has God been saying to you recently what is he saying and are you listening what is he saying and are you listening See, if he's speaking and you're listening, are you obeying? Are you putting legs on what God is saying to you today? You know, Louise and I have, we feel as though the Lord has been whispering to us, just like to Philip. We're feeling somewhat apprehensive about what he's been saying to us. Louise and I have come away from our, our annual leave, our holiday, having some time out, feeling very sure that 
that God is saying to us that it's time to leave lakes. And so I guess we've sensed this for some months and we've been asking the, the question and there has been, from the elders, there's been very much a no, we think you should stay and, and it's been a very hard decision to come to because over the years there's been quite a few times where we've wondered you know, whether, whether we should move on, but we've always felt that God was saying, no, stay here. And even, you know, I think back um, you know, last year and the year before, you know, we were contacted by, I think it was five churches, and one of them contacted us four times, and, and we just kept feeling that God was saying, no, stay, stay at Lakes. And, but this time we're very sure that he's saying, it's time, it's time to leave. And that's a really scary thought because right at this moment, we actually don't have another church calling us. We don't actually have jobs to go to. Louise doesn't have a nursing job and I don't have any other job. And I'll tell you what, when you're 47, that's kind of like a, a scary thing to do, to step out and to say, well, Lord, we feel sure you're calling us to move on. And it's very tempting for me to say, oh, well, I don't think that God's really speaking to me. Because something that's been happening for me since, since I was a teenager is that God has been regularly waking me up at four o'clock in the morning. And I know God is speaking to me. When I wake up and the clock says 4.00 and I have this kind of bang, this awakeness, I've learnt to say, what, Lord, What? respectfully but you can imagine when you're woken up at that hour of the morning and and so for me to ignore what God is saying to me at the moment it's a little bit like when Saul you remember King Saul was brought to the throne as the first king of Israel and he's king for a number of years 15 or 20 years and then one day they're waiting for Samuel, the prophet, to come and to offer the sacrifice. And Samuel kind of tarries. And he's running late. And all of Saul's sons and his advisors say, forget about Samuel, let's just offer the sacrifice. And he said, no, no, we've got to wait for the prophet. Saul said, no, no, we've got to wait. But his advisors say to him, blow Samuel, he's probably a false prophet. And Saul says, let me tell you, if Samuel's a false prophet, <laughs> I'm a false king <laughs> because he anointed me king. And so I look at all these words from God over the years and I think, well, if God's not speaking to me, I shouldn't have married Louise. And I shouldn't have followed so many of the paths that I followed. And let me tell you, if God wasn't calling me, I wouldn't have come to Lakes because when I did ring Kev, he said, there's no job, mate. There's lots of stuff to do, but there's no job. But we felt sure God is saying, no, go, go up there. And that was 13 years ago. You know, the 1st of December we came here, 2001. And so now it's easy to look back in the history and say, no, I think God was calling us. But it's very hard when you love your church family. You love your church family and your kids have grown up here and we love you all to bits. And 
it would be very easy to stay here. And in the past, I've got to confess, when we felt the Lord was saying, stay, I felt this absolute kind of relief because I didn't have to do anything. I've just got to stay and everything continues on. But now, it's like this fleshly relief. But now, in the flesh, I, should, I kept saying I should be really anxious. But we're not. But in the spirit, we're actually excited because I think, I think preaching through Acts, what God is saying to me is, Lakes probably needs a bit of that churning that's happened for the early church in Jerusalem. That things get thrown into a bit of turmoil for a while, and believe me, it probably will, because this church has not been through a major transition for nearly 25 years. Because if you look back, there was a lot of overlap between the previous senior pastor, Kevin Keegan, and Keith and myself and Louise and Tim Williams was on staff across it all and Ian Williams was in the leadership across it all. So there's been a lot of stability for 25 years. So there will be probably a time of what's going on but I really believe God is in this and, and that God is more concerned about his church than any of us and that he will look after everyone and including Louise and I and you'll be pleased to know a few people, we've, we've tell, told a few people during the week and, and um, people are very concerned that we'll be taking the band. <laughs> you'll be pleased to know that... <laughs> Not everyone in the band is my kids, by the way. But you'll be pleased to know that certainly our married children are, um, are wanting to um, stay here at Lakes. And they've made it very clear they don't come here just for us. <laughs> so that's, that is nice. But, um, yeah, so we'll be around. It's not as though we're um, packing up. So the plan is that we'll finish up uh, kind of mid to late October. Um, so about three months away. And... Um, Louise will just find full-time work, nursing, and I'm going to finish all the stuff that has to happen on our house, uh, all the building work, and during that time we're just going to seek God about what the next step is for us. And something for you to be really praying about is that the elders, we, we need to find a, a really good interim pastor to be able to start in November, who will be able to come and provide pastoral care and preaching and leadership to guide everyone through the transition time. And then there'll be a, a transition team formed, undoubtedly, and you'll start the whole, whole process of just seeking God on who is the, who's the next person who'll be leading Lakes. So there you have it. Please feel free to come up, not now, but ask us at any stage if you've got any questions about it all. We're very happy to talk about it. And um, So let me pray. Let me pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for your word and for the way that this simple, beautiful little passage kind of landed right here on this day and the poignancy of, of that. And we are, 
once again reminded that your spirit does continue to speak to us and that when we obey more good stuff happens than we could imagine and so lord that is what we would pray for for everyone at lakes as we head into a a time of probably some anxiety and turmoil and transition that your spirit would be working mightily amongst all of us and that we would we would rest in you knowing that whilst we don't know the future we intimately know and trust the one who does so lord we look forward to what you are going to do in the days ahead lord i pray for great peace and comfort and security that people would really feel that your spirit is hovering over all of this and that we would continue to seek you as to where where you would have us move and who you would have us call and where louise and i would go and and that we will all look back on this it may be from a couple of years down the track and we will be able to say yes praise god that you led us through that time lord i pray a blessing upon your people now in jesus name amen